So a few weeks back, some old friends and I um, went, wait, my friends and I aren't old. Sorry, Tracy and Nikki. Some friends that I have been friends with for a really long time decided to get together and we met in the Twin Cities. We went to the Mall of America to do some shopping. And we arrived in the early afternoon and after a couple of hours of shopping, we decided we probably needed to get some nourishment and hydration because our dinner reservation wasn't until 7 p.m. that night. So after we had a snack and hydrated, we continued our shopping adventure and went downstairs to the first floor of the Mall of America. And as we were walking down the hall, we're adults, we're casually strolling, a bunch of teenagers go whipping by us. We're teachers, and we're like, seriously, kids? Come on. You're running in the hall, and besides that, you're running on the wrong side of the hall? And then another group of kids, teenagers, they go running past us. And then another group of people go running past us. And we're annoyed, maybe a little alarmed, and my friend Tracy, in her teacher voice, goes, why are you running? To which the person says, because the people behind us are running. We look around, and there are people running from all different directions with fear in their face. So we obviously, we looked at each other, there is something going on here. So we ducked into the nearest store, the Gap, and we walked all the way to the back of the store to the checkout, and we asked the manager, is there something going on out there? Because there are people running all over the place in all different directions. And he said to us, I don't think there's anything going on. If there was something going on, the mall would let us know, or an alarm would go off. As soon as he said that, an alarm went off. <laughs> and he looked at us in a very serious face and said, this is serious. We are in an actual lockdown. I am going to usher you to the back of the store. The gates of the front of the store went down, and all of the employees of the Gap went in through the store and swept customers through the store to the back of the store and in through a door into their back room. Once everybody was accounted for, the door was locked, and then it was barricaded with a really large table. And the management stepped in. They calmed fears. Sarah was the store manager. Tehran was the assistant manager. They did a great job of keeping everybody calm. But Sarah said to us, this is an actual lockdown, and we are safe in this space, and I will give you as much information as I have as I get it. Right now, we know that there's an active shooter in the mall. I need you to silence your phones. We're okay, and we are safe. In that room, there were 38 people. Seven of them were GAP employees, and seven of them were children. The children were terrified. I don't think that I have ever seen emotion or fear so completely pure or unhindered. They were crying hysterically. Some had parents with them. One little girl was crying because she realized, she's about 10, I think these, most of the kids were between the ages of six and 16. One of the little girls, I think she was probably about 10, was crying because she realized her and her mom had just been in the store where the shots went out. And then there were three teenagers, two 14-year-olds and a 16-year-old, and they had been dropped off at the mall to do some shopping. 
They did not have a parent with them. Sheer terror. They were actually afraid for their lives. It was a surreal experience. You know, one of those times when you're like, is this really actually happening right now? Like, is that like for real? Of all of the things, I am sitting in a locked room at the Mall of America because there's an active shooter. Honestly, the mall was celebrating their 30th anniversary and there has only been four lockdowns. But thankfully, they practice them every single month and I did feel safe. But I did take a minute to check my own emotions and just kind of see what I was feeling because I actually felt a heaviness and a darkness around me. And so I just kind of quietly took you know, note of myself um, and I quietly prayed um, and I just allowed myself to be fearful. It wasn't until later last week, actually, when I was reading through chapter four of Esther, which carries a lot of really heavy feelings and emotion, that I thought about the fact that not one adult in that room shed a tear, at least not in the two and a half hours that we spent together in lockdown. So let's look at Esther chapter four again this week. In the Blue Bibles, you're on page 412, and we're gonna read all the way through Chapter 4, verses 1 through 17. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes off and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out to the midst of the city, and he cried out with loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was a great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments of, to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hathak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the, inner, in, inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law, to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king 
for 30 days. These 30 days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all of the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all of the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. It's important for us to read the entire chapter to give us some context. So remember, the Jews were going to be killed because Mordecai would not bow to Haman. And Haman was furious. And in an act of revenge, he convinced the king to order all Jews to be killed, all Jews without exception, men, women, and children. When Mordecai found out that this was happening, his emotions erupted, and he ripped off his clothes, running into the streets, screaming and crying. Now, this is a grown man, and it kind of reminds me of some of the tantrums that I have witnessed when a little girl didn't necessarily want to wear the clothes that were laid out for her or any of the clothes that were in her closet. And I won't tell you if that little girl would have been me or one of the little girls that lived in my house but some of you can probably guess, and do not ask my mom. <laughs> mom. But this was not a tantrum. Mordecai was deeply distressed, and he was overcome by emotion, and the decree spelled out, annihilation, gone, wiped off the face of the earth, all of the Jews. But Mordecai wasn't the only one that was mourning like this. Verse 3 tells us, that in every province there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and lamenting. They wore sackcloth and ashes. Sackcloth was made of goat hair. I don't think it was a pretty garment. I've, I certainly would not want to wear it. And then they would have ashes. They would spread ashes over their head. And so this was actually the apparel of mourners. And so those that would see this knew the emotion and the depth of the emotion that they were seeing. Another part of their, mourn, of their mourning was fasting. It talks about fasting a couple of times in this chapter. And we're not talking about the diet trend of fasting or the lifestyle change that includes intermittent fasting, although I will tell you from personal experience, when you stop focusing on what your next meal is going to be and what time you're going to eat it, it actually opens some time up for you to contemplate more important things. But that's not what we're talking about here. Fasting, we know that the Israelites um, fasted, and we also know that they were only required by law to do it once a year for the Day of Atonement. But there were always examples, or there have been many examples, of fasting for special occasions and celebrations or in a time of need. Fasting is a means by which a person denies their own needs 
and focuses directly on his or her relationship and reliance on God. Today, we see a version of fasting during the Lent season. We maybe don't withhold all food. We may withhold one or two things, but it's the same idea. Denying our own needs so that we can focus on our relationship and our dependence on God. Prayer was and is still a significant part of praying, fasting as well, and together they demonstrate deep feeling. In this case, with Mordecai and Esther and the Jews, it was probably desperation and fear. I think that we probably have a pretty good idea of what crying out to God, um, fasting, and mourning would look like for us. Some of us even probably practice this today in an emotionally or spiritually healthy way. But we, as a collective we, like the Western church, we really don't have a very good grasp on what it means to lament. One of the classes that I um, am required to take for my theology and ministry degree at Fuller Seminary is um, vocational formation. And what that, vocation meaning our vocation, our call to follow Jesus. And the focus of this class is spiritual practices that will give us the opportunity to get, be closer with God, be in communion with him, and really allow us to have the opportunity to experience his presence. And lament was one of those practices we studied. And I was greatly impacted by this study. I had never even known this was a thing that, they, that God actually wanted us to do. And because of this particular study, I found it interesting, and the timing interesting, because I was in this class during the pandemic when emotions were running really, really high. And so it felt like the perfect time to think about heavy emotion and feelings related to the pandemic. So what do we do with our feelings of fear and anger, grief and stress? Do we hide them and tell people that we are fine or that we are okay? Do we complain or grumble? Do we lash out either face-to-face -face or on social media just to set the record straight? Do we hold a grudge? Do we seek revenge? Do we withdraw? I have to confess that I have handled my emotions and my feelings in every single one of these ways at one time or another in my life. But the more important question I would suggest is, if it is not obvious, do we seek to understand the cause or the source of our feelings and pain? Sometimes the source of it is obvious, but sometimes there's something going on and we don't really know why. We don't know the root of it. Our culture is really, really uncomfortable with feeling and expressing the hard feelings that we feel. We often don't give ourselves or other people permission to grieve or express their feelings because we don't know what to do with them. Or quite frankly, these feelings make us really uncomfortable or out of control. 
We are also taught to control our emotions at a young age. Big girls don't cry. Big boys don't cry. You have nothing to cry about. Or how about this one? Stop your crying or I'll give you. <laughs> See, all of us. We are taught to control our emotions. Emotions, for some, for some reason, have turned into a bad thing. Our feelings have turned into a bad thing or a negative thing. Look, everybody, I have paid a lot of money to my favorite therapist for a really important piece of information, a piece of truth that I will share with you. God gave us emotions for feeling. Feelings are for feeling. I put it as the title of the day's message to remind you. You're welcome. That was free. I, I paid for it. We actually work really hard at not feeling any feeling that does not let us feel good. We use so many things to avoid emotional pain. And in the ultimate journey, we call this numbing out. And we can use almost anything to numb out. Substances, shopping, binging a TV series, overworking, overeating, filling our social calendars, the almighty to-do list, and all of the habits that we have found ourselves involved in. Have you ever laid awake in the middle of the night and you found yourself lying there and thinking and your heart racing because you're thinking about all of the things that you worked so hard during the day to not think about? And now you're laying there in the quietest, quietness of the night, or for me, it's actually 3 o'clock in the morning. If anybody else is up at 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm, I'm with you. Sometimes. I'm getting better. But we're, I'm laying there, and I am praying that God would give me peace, would help me to reconcile whatever it is that I am wrestling with so I can just go to sleep because I am tired. but it gets so uncomfortable in the quietness of my own thoughts and feelings that I just get myself out of bed so that I can start the day and get myself busy so I can be distracted all over again. That's what we do. So what I do. We'll do almost anything to not feel hard things. Mordecai and all of the Jews, Esther and the women that were with her, use lament as an expression of what they are actually feeling. It's been modeled for us in the Bible over and over again as a way to commune with God. And yet we are too afraid and sometimes too proud to feel or name the real feelings that we have. There are 150 psalms in the book of Psalms. And one-third to one-half of them are actually categorized as lament. That's not an insignificant number. And we have an entire book of laments called Lamentations, an entire book. So obviously, lament is something that God wants us to pay attention to. God wants our honesty at the deepest level, and he can handle all of our emotions. He, he gave us emotions to feel. 
and he can handle all of them. And somebody might say, well, why do I have to say them out loud or write them if God is all-knowing and he knows all the things that I am feeling? Well, let me say this. Lament is not informing God about how you feel about something. It's about submission of will. I'll say it again. Lament is not about informing God about how you feel about something. It's about a submission of will. Lament allows us to cry out to God saying, God, I cannot do this without you. I am tired and I need you. That is the submission of our will. There is a pattern and a structure of the, of the laments that we find in the Bible. And this pattern can be helpful, helpful to us in guiding us to practice lament ourselves. And I'll share it with you. First, there's an opening address, addressing the person that you are praying to. Father God, Heavenly Father, um, whatever you see fit or who you are speaking with. Then the complaint, I am afraid, I do not understand. In Mordecai's case, he maybe said, I do not understand why the king wants to wipe us out. A confession of trust. You are the God of the universe. I trust you to keep your prom the promises that you have made. Even though I don't understand, I still trust you. And a petition for help. God, I need your help. This is bigger than what I can handle on my own, and I am afraid. I don't know what to do or how to do it. And then a vow of praise. I will still praise you in the midst of my pain, anger, and fear, because I know that you are a God that keeps your promises. So in my class, we were assigned to write a lament, and it really wasn't that hard because the class was during COVID, locked up, like literally when we were in our homes. And we were also um, assigned to share the, the lament with our classmates, so it was kind of like more of a corporate. Now it's Zoom, right? I'm, so it wasn't quite the same. And since then, I have really thought a lot about how lament might actually be beneficial and impactful in our own emotional healing. And then this last week, <laughs> I can't make this up. This last week, I had the opportunity to serve families with disability at the Johnny and Friends Minnesota Family Retreat. So families affected by disability are coming in to be loved on, to be served, to be taken care of. And one of the opportunities that these parents had to participate in was a lament service. And the lament service was guided by the retreat pastor, um, Brian Martin from Rochester. And he invited me to participate in it. And so right before I'm here, I had the most incredible experience of practicing and participating in a service of lament. And I can't even begin to describe to you the experience of being guided through a lament in such a meaningful way. To be able to release feelings instead of burying them, bringing anger and frustration and pain, bitterness into the light and not leaving it in the darkness, 
where, by the way, these are the lies that the enemy feeds on and grows. Releasing these emotional burdens that we were never meant to carry alone. It was a gift. It was a blessing. Verse 16 tells us that community, the community came together in fasting and praying, lifting Esther in prayer. It actually said, she said, gather all of the Jews found in Susa and fast on my behalf. And I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. Have you ever been afraid to do something on your own, but thought you could probably do it if somebody did it with you? This is where Esther was at. She needed support. We are created to do life together and to support one another. I wondered this week, at what age does our independence become more important than doing life together, as we're called to do? Esther needed support, and she said, hold fast on my behalf. Hold it fast on my behalf. She actually asked for help, people. She asked for help because she knew she couldn't do it on her own. She knew that there, were num there was strength in numbers, and she also needed help because she knew that God would hear the prayers that they lifted to him. And so I ask us, I ask you, who are your people? Who are the close people in your life that you can do all of life with, that you can pray with, that will pray for you? What kind of supportive community have you built around yourself? Do you have that kind of community in a small group? I have a group of seven ladies, and we do life together in a lot of ways, but one of the ways is that we have a thread of texts, and it's a place where we ask for prayer, we give praise and share praise, and we also um, present invitations, coffee, lunch, whatever. And it's a blessing. These seven ladies came out of the small groups that Steve and I were part of in the last, throughout the last eight years. And so small groups have been significant. We're created to do all of our life together in community. So September 11th is Small Group Sunday. And if you don't have community like this built around you, I would encourage you to come to one of the meetings on that Sunday, one during the um, 1030 service and one afterwards. And we will talk about why small groups matter so much. And you will also get an opportunity to interact with some of our small group leaders that are looking to grow their groups. And they can answer questions for you. And if you want to today, you could check the little tiny box on the connect card that says small groups and put it in the basket. And either myself or Matthew would be in contact with you about that. The kids that my friends and I were in lockdown with at the Mall of America were actually okay with not being okay. They were terrified and they were not ashamed to let their feelings be known and seen by others. Mordecai and Esther and all of the Jews were also okay with not being okay. Why are we not? Three of the Gospels call us to have faith like a child. And does that childlike faith include trusting God with our feelings of disappointment, hurt, pain, fear, anger? 
I think it ought to. And so I encourage you to reflect on that. A few weeks ago, John encouraged us to write our own wisdom manifesto from the wisdom that we see in the book of Esther. And this is what I have added to my wisdom manifesto this week. I will not let pride keep me from feeling what I need to feel. I will not let pride keep me from naming my pain or fear. And I will not let pride keep me from asking for the help or support to navigate my feelings. I encourage you, add a piece of wisdom to your manifesto this week. Let's pray. Father God, we know that you are the healer. You are the reconciler. Lord, we know that you know all of our emotions and that you can handle them. Lord, our pride runs deep, and it keeps us from allowing you to carry our burden. And our pride is a barrier between us, between you and I, and between those that need to see you in and through me. Lord, I thank you for being a God that wants to hear from us, that wants to hear our struggles, all of the feelings. And Lord, I thank you that you give us the opportunity, that you invite us, you ask us, you want us to share all of life with you. And Lord, I pray that you would point out for us, maybe give us the courage to take that first step in identifying the fact that we're feeling hurt or feeling pain. And Lord, I just pray that you would walk alongside us, put people in our path that will help us to navigate the pain that we experience. Lord, we know that you love us, and we are so thankful for the hope that we have in Jesus. And we ask all of this in his name. Amen. Please stand. Let's sing.